This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Good afternoon, and welcome to this Rand Congressional Briefing. I'm Wynne Burkle, and I head up the Rand Corporation's Office of Congressional Relations here in Washington, D.C. From California to New York, Texas to Michigan, a record number of prisoners, roughly about 700,000 each year, are re-entering the general population. Today, we are very pleased to present Rand's Lois Davis, uh, who will talk to you about the massive prisoner re-entry underway already in California, uh, and research she's done on the public health consequences that this will have for many California counties and communities as well as what lessons California's experience may have for other states that are dealing with their own public health-related prison re-entry challenges. And with that, I'm going to turn Great. it over to Lois. Thank you. Great, thanks. Good afternoon. I appreciate you taking the time to come and hear about this study. Um, as I go into it, I'd like you to keep in mind that many of the issues that I'll be talking about today are the same sort of issues that other states are grappling with, both at the state and local levels. Um, this particular study, when we started about five years ago, really was when the recession was having a substantial impact and, reduced, and leading to reduced funding for the safety nets that, that people coming out of prison rely on. That means both social services as well as um, health care. Within this context, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's going on in California. Um, in other states, it's called justice reinvestment, but our particular brand has to do with public safety realignment. First, as you may, may know, back in 2005, California's prison health care system was put into federal receivership. This was due both to prison overcrowding as well as incidents of preventable deaths. And just this past May, well, rather last year, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld that California was not doing enough to address this issue and, in fact, gave them to 2013 to reduce by 33,000 the size of its prison population. At the same time, California, like many other states, was grappling with very costly corrections budgets, prison overcrowding, and thinking about what can we put into place to really um, tackle this, this long-standing issue. Public safety realignment was long in the planning, but importantly, it was implemented just this past October very quickly. What realignment does is it takes that portion of the prison population that are low-level offenders, nonviolent offenders, for example, drug-related offenders, uh, disproportionately includes female offenders, and instead of having them serve their time in prison, they now serve their time at the local level in county jails. They also, when they're released, they're supervised at the local level. So that's really an attempt now to keep low-level offenders at the local level in the counties, and this, thus it really becomes now an important issue for counties that they are now grappling with. The other major policy um, um, change that's happening, of course, is health care reform. And what it has to do with uh, this population is that for the first time with the expansion of Medicaid eligibility, you have the opportunity now to have this population get access to Medicaid insurance and thus remove a key barrier to access to care. And I'm going to be talking about more about this and some of our recommendations explicitly address what state and counties can be doing about this issue. Now, this is kind of the, the larger picture of what's happening um, in terms of both the policy landscape and, and the sort of issues that different states, including California, are facing. But I'd like to kind of just pause for a minute and give you a sense of, of what it means for an individual coming out of prison. 
This is a quote from an individual we met that was recently returning to Los Angeles County. He had been incarcerated for a number of years. And so he talked at length about the anxiety he felt about coming back to a society that he no longer knew how to operate it in. He had never used a cell phone example. He never had access to a computer. So he talked about what this process was like. You may or may not know, when you're released from prison, you're given very little money. You're given $200 gate money in California. And what that means is you're to use that money. If you're fortunate to have a ticket, you'll use that bus ticket or train <coughs> ticket to get back to the county of return, or else you use that money to also pay for that. In this case, this individual was trying to make his way down to Los Angeles County. He only had, um, he did not have his parole papers with him. He had been told by his bunkmate that there was a drug treatment program in Skid Row that if he could make his way there, that he'd be lucky to get into it. So all he knew is that he was gonna, his, that his goal was to try to get down to downtown LA and see if he could find this place. Through much trial and error, and by the help of, of strangers who along the way recognized that he was in dire straits, he, did, he was able to make it. But he had also another thing going for him. The one thing he had was the telephone number of the vice president of this drug treatment program in his pocket. So late at night, he was able to call Mark Fawcett, the vice president, who was then able to guide him back to the clinic doors. Now, he was one of the lucky ones. He made a connection, but many do not. For this individual, reentry was very difficult, but that's very typical in most individuals coming out of prison. What happens then for those that are not lucky to get into a treatment program, do not have transitional housing to go to, they, they become part of the public health concerns that we all must consider, such things as dealing with the homeless population, those that are mentally ill, those that are struggling with drug problems. So in a real sense, as communities, this is a problem that we have to be thinking about. We have to think about we don't want a system that is purely reliant on the grace of God, but truly one where we think about we need a system that has better coordination when people are released from prison, as well as linkages to services. I'm going to present to you some of the results that we did today, but I wanted to give you a quick overview of some of the, the different types of analyses we did to look at this issue. We analyzed a survey of California inmates, self-reported information about what their health care needs were, what their health status is, as well as prior experience in terms of use of services both within prison and outside the community. We also did a geographic analysis. We were able to get um, parolee data from the Department of Corrections and mapped in detail to understand where do they go when they return to, to local communities, which counties are most impacted as well as which communities within counties. We also, um, for those of you who are, who are in the health field, you know that the healthcare safety net varies from county to county in terms of how it's constructed. So what we did is we selected four of the major counties in California and we did an in-depth construction of what we thought the safety net would look like for these individuals. We assumed they'd be part of the medically indigent population for the most part. And we mapped in detail those primary care clinics, mental health clinics, alcohol drug treatment providers that would be part of their safety net. We also developed some measures of the capacity of that safety net to meet their needs, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. And lastly, I think one of the most interesting part of it for me personally was we did in-depth interviews with providers who serve this population who are part of that safety net, as well as in-depth focus groups with newly released inmates. 
And so we had a chance to really understand from their individual perspective, how does health impact reentry as well as, as what is their own experience in this area. So I'm going to talk to you today about um, three key areas. So what, is, what do we know about the healthcare needs of this population and the challenges that providers face in meeting those needs? Then I'll talk a little bit about but what we know about which counties are really most impacted. It's important to understand when we think about having limited resources, then in truth we know a lot about which communities and counties are most impacted. So we can start thinking in a more nuanced way about where to triage resources. And then lastly, I'll talk about what states can better do to prepare for reentry and, and the opportunities that healthcare reform present um, um, to us at this point in time to address the needs of this population. The results from our analysis of the survey really showed that this is a population with very high healthcare needs. Um, when I talked to prison healthcare officials, they would say that on average, the way to think about this population is they tend to be 10 to 15 years older than each of us in terms of where their health status lies. You may or may not know that they have a lot of chronic health conditions, such things as hypertension, diabetes, asthma, kind of, kind of conditions that require ongoing medical care to effectively manage them. They also have very high mental health and drug treatment needs. About 58% reported symptoms that met the diagnostic criteria for drug abuse or dependence. We know that about 60% have had a prior history of mental health, and in fact, 55% reported recent mental health problems within this population. So what does this mean for providers? They talked at length about the challenges this, um, of treating this population. What they talked about is it's similar to the kind of health conditions you might see out in the community, low-income low income communities where you have poor access to care, so you have conditions that are exacerbated by neglect. Um, what this means from a healthcare perspective then is that they're much more resource intensive to treat. It's not simply a matter of them coming in for a primary care clinic visit. It really is long-term care and a mixture of both primary and specialty care that's often needed. It also means that if you're a provider, you have to think about what are the social services needs of this population. And if you're going to a community clinic, that clinic also will have to be thinking about these issues. What that means for a provider, for example, is you may be treating a patient, but you have to step back and ask yourself certain questions. For example, if this individual is homeless, you have to wonder, can they keep their prescriptions in a safe place? Are they going to have their hearing aid, for example, stolen? Or if they have a wound, do they have a clean place that they can, they can change the dressing? For? When we talk to ex-offenders, these are the focus groups we did with um, ex-offenders in Alameda, Los Angeles, and San Diego County. They, they had a lot to say about health. I think what was fascinating is they, they make a distinction between physical health and then mental health and drug treatment needs. When you ask them about how does health stack up in terms of their other needs, such as finding housing, employment, reuniting with their family, they would, they would put it lower. But then they went on to talk at length about um, how important it was, it was for them to get sober, how important it was to deal with some of the anxiety and depression they were addressing, how some of them knew that they were really having a problem with mental health care, but they didn't know where to go. For many of them, they had a strong desire to participate in prison in the substance abuse programs. But as in California, and it's true of many other states, with the recession, what has happened 
and California is a good example, is we, we reduced by 40% the funding that we had for substance abuse in prison programs. That meant that very few people are getting access to rehabilitative services now while incarcerated. They're going to be coming back to communities uh, with a lot of unmet need. You, one of the things that we know from research is that individuals that are lucky enough to participate in formal pre-release planning classes tend to fare better. They tend to fare better in terms of linking to services. They tend to have lower recidivism rates. But very few in our focus groups had participated in formal pre-release planning classes. That meant that they relied on much more informal means, such things as if they were lucky enough to have family members that still cared, that they tried to help them. They relied on their bunkmates and mentors within prison, like the fellow that was referring to Los Angeles County that helped say, hey, if you're going back here, try to go to this place. This is where you can get help. One of the individuals we met with is in San Diego County. He was an individual that had been incarcerated about four times for drug-related problems. This was his fourth time coming out. He knew that he was still struggling. He knew that he was at risk of going back to using drugs. He went to his parole officer and said, please help me, help me get into a drug treatment program. The parole officer said, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't have any resources for it. I can't do that. So that individual at that moment in time did the only thing he could think of. He picked up an ashtray and he broke out the window of the parole office because he knew that would get him sent back to prison. And even though there was very little in prison um, substance abuse programming, he did it with the hope that he might be one of the lucky ones to get back into those programs. And so this is kind of, at the individual level, the kind of issues that they face when they're coming out into the community. I'd like to now turn to thinking kind of more at a system level and thinking about what we know about counties and communities that are particularly impacted and how we assess the capacity of the healthcare safety net. Um, this is a map of California. So the gray lines represent the 58 counties. What we did is we took the uh, parolee data. We looked at two years of parolee data. We had 168,000. You, you can't see it well on this map, but the little dots indicate those, that data. We then calculated rates of return at the county level. So the blue shading indicates which counties have higher rates of return. The darker the blue shading, those are the counties with the higher rates of return. So for example, in California we have 58 counties, but it's only 11 counties that particularly have high rates of return. Those are the counties that are going to be most impacted by reentry. When you look within those counties, you also know that they go to very specific neighborhoods and communities. They tend to be some of the areas that are most disadvantaged. We found that for Latino and African American parolees, that they in particular went return to those communities that are the most disadvantaged. That's indicated by the yellow circles. It starts to give you a sense of kind of the clustering within counties. And again, as we start to think about how do we triage resources appropriately. Los Angeles County always does things in a big way. We have the highest rate of return. One out of five parolees return to Los Angeles County each year. This clustering starts to give you a sense then that that most of the concentrations tend to be in the southern part of the county, places like South Central Los Angeles, Compton, Hawthorne, Long Beach. Um, in, the San, in the valley, we have places like Van Nuys, for example, and then up in the northern part of the county, the high desert. 
It's places like Lancaster and Palmdale. So again, when we start to think about how do we take limited realignment dollars, reentry dollars, and start putting into place services, it starts to give people a sense of where, where really are, are the greatest need. And again, this is just a close-up. One of the things we did was we mapped the super, county supervisorial districts, because we wanted also to make the point that who owns the problem? Who has, where is, who's, whose problem is this primarily that they need to be thinking about, both in terms of locally as well as statewide? The next thing we did was we overlaid this map with um, uh, the distribution of different health uh, safety net facilities. In this case, I'm, telling, I'm showing you the results for the mental health clinics. So both the red and yellow dots represent the mental health clinics in Los Angeles County that are part of the safety net. What it starts to give you a sense, of, though, is that if you look at, for example, at areas around uh, Lawndale, Hawthorne, Gardena, the dark blue shading indicates these are the areas with high rates of return, but you start to see that there's kind of gaps in coverage when we think about where are the resources located. The, the yellow stars represent the parole outpatient clinics. In California, most parole offices have co-located with them a small outpatient clinic, and that clinic it provides very basic mental health services. That's where an individual can go and get access to you know, get his um, psych meds refilled, basic counseling, but also it's an important source mechanism to li of linkage, of referral to county health services for those that need more intensive care. Under our new public safety realignment plan, those parole outpatient clinics now go away. So what it means for the counties is that individuals coming back from prison are going to be wholly dependent on county resources then to provide services in this area. Now this is a fairly simplistic um, analysis. I'm just showing you where do we have concentration of parolees, what does the distribution of safety net facilities look like. But what it doesn't tell us is a couple of things. It doesn't tell us about the capacity of those clinics. For example, one dot may represent two, medical, two mental health professionals, another dot may represent 20 mental health professionals. It doesn't tell us about travel distance. How, how, how far does someone have to travel to access services? We know that many of these individuals will have to rely on our public transportation system. And lastly, it doesn't tell us about the underlying demand for services. In other words, this clinic is not just serving this population. They're serving all of the low-income uh, neighborhoods in this area. So we did an analysis that took into account each of these factors. And what it allows us to do is get a much more nuanced understanding of what truly is the capacity of the safety net, in this case, mental health, to meet the needs of this population. And this is what we found. First, let me walk you through this. I'm showing you the, the distribution of parolees across, as shown by four different quartiles. The two red bars ind indicate the percentage of parolees that reside return to areas in Los Angeles County that have low levels of access to mental health facilities. The blue bars indicate those areas that have high access. The dotted line tells us that a little over 50% of parolees that return to Los Angeles County tend to return to areas with low levels of access to mental health facilities when you take into account all of these factors. If we compare this with other counties, for example, 
If we look at San Diego County, um, parolees tend to reside fare better there. That is, only about 35% of parolees tend to return to areas with low levels of access. The, way, the reason why Kern looks the way it does is because that's a rural county. Uh, most of the healthcare facilities are located in Bakersfield, and that's also where most of the parolees return to. But it starts to give you a sense as we look at whether it's alcohol and drug treatment, mental health, primary care, that there's variation in the capacity of the healthcare safety net both um, across counties and within counties. And thus, as we begin to think about how do we meet the needs of this population, it's important to begin to understand that linkage between those, those different factors. So let me now turn to kind of some of our recommendations. And, and again, these are recommendations that not only pertain to California, but also other states that are also grappling with this issue. In the case of California, remember public self safety realignment is shifting low-level offenders down to the local level. States and counties are actively coordinating on this issue. They have to coordinate on the transition of responsibility, both in terms of from the criminal justice perspective as well as from a rehabilitative and healthcare perspective. In terms of planning for healthcare reform, likewise, across the nation, all states and localities are, are actively planning for this. Important for this, this particular talk has to do with the expansion of Medicaid eligibility. Again, for the first time, childless adults will be able to now be eligible for Medicaid. And so that opens up an important access to care, access to health insurance for this population. Importantly, it requires, though, both sets of activities require state counties to assess both their capacity and think about how are we going to develop integrated service delivery systems. And also a, a key message from our talk really is the fact that as we go about planning, for example, for healthcare reform and expansion of Medicaid, the incremental investment that's needed to think about how to tailor some of this to this component of the Medicaid expansion population, that is the reentry, the criminal justice involved population, provides an opportunity for us to start thinking about truly leveraging federal dollars to make those kinds of investments and hopefully um, allow us to help offset later on down the road both criminal justice and healthcare costs. I talked to you about some of the opportunities under public safety realignment. Reduce the cycling in and out of prison for low-level offenders, helping to reduce the size of the prison population, helped California meet the Supreme Court order. But it also, presumably, by keeping people at the local level, you have the chance to perhaps um, allow them to get better, better access to local resources, those services that they will need when they come out of prison or jail. But it also presents a very huge challenge for counties. I'm, I don't know if, if any of you have been reading the newspapers from California, it's, it's, it's almost daily that kind of the, um, the alarm that you hear from county officials about what's going on. They're very concerned about the fact that they have little experience in really managing rehabilitating this population. County sheriffs, for example, they are, they're used to a jail population that's with them for 60, 80 days. Under realignment, they're now having a population that's going to be with them for two, three, four years or even longer. That means that the onus is really much on them to both rehabilitate as well as provide for their health care. They're very concerned then about the, both the demand for services in this area as well as their own local capacity 
to meet the mental health care and drug treatment needs of this population. If we look at health care reform, the opportunity course is the expansion of Medicaid eligibility that opens up a window now for gaining access to care for this population by enrolling them in Medicaid. At the same time, some of the provisions in the health care reform, you're going to see an expansion of, of um, treatment, drug treatment under Medicaid. But there's also challenges. Um, counties are very concerned that the expansion of Medicaid, not just for this population, but in general, is going to lead to both access and capacity issues. They're, they're already greatly struggling with that. And that ultimately that the decisions that are made in terms of how the programs will be rolled out will still result in substantial cost sharing and utilization limits that still may limit, real, truly limit, the access of this population to services. We developed a number of implementable recommendations both for the state and local levels and in the research brief that, and handouts that you have, we have a table in the back that summarizes those recommendations. I'd like to just talk about four of the key ones. One has to do with the need to expand pre-release planning. The other one is the opportunities to think about how to leverage technology. In this case, health information technology, um, electronic medical records, to better facilitate that transition from prison to the communities. I'm going to talk about Medicaid enrollment strategies, as well as the need to invest in a comprehensive assessment of the impact of this policy change. <coughs> the individual that was coming down to Los Angeles County he had not participated in any pre-release planning. We know, though, that, again, that pre-release planning is associated with reductions of recidivism, better connections with services. In California and in many states, pre-release planning is based on acuity of need. And what that means, for example, if you're seriously mentally ill, if you have schizophrenia, for example, or, or if you're uh, someone who's on kidney dialysis, so very acutely ill, then pre-release planning occurs. You do the, the Department of Corrections, the prison health care system does do that coordination with the county, county mental health, county alcohol and drug, for example, to make that handoff occur. But we also know, recall that I said that about 60% of the population has mental health needs and drug treatment needs. That means only a very small fraction of them truly get any of this, this coordinated care transition. Thus, not many prisoners fall into those categories. There's clearly a need to think about how can we expand pre-release planning for individuals coming out of prison. One of the things that, that we know, though, is that with the deep cuts in correctional budgets, that ultimately the counties will have to be very proactive in doing this. We have examples where um, one is in Alameda County where you have um, Healthy Oakland, for example, which is a community clinic the Department of Public Health has designated as being, as being the medical home for those coming back from prison. They are very proactive in going into the prison and helping to do that pre-release planning and helping connect those individuals directly right away with a clinic, a medical home, as well as social services. The transition clinics in San Francisco also does something similar. But it's those kinds of activities that we're really going to need local communities and counties to develop strategic plans about how to make that happen. Another um, thing we talked about is the, the need to think about how do you transition their care to the local level. When an individual is in prison, relatively few of them have really have access to medical care. It's really if you're in a 
dealing with acute problems, for example, that you get that access. So it means for the most part people are coming out, they don't, they're not walking out with medical records in their arm, but they're coming back to communities and they're showing up at the clinic door when they're in a crisis. They run out of their psych meds. They don't, they are on, they're a, they're a diabetic, but they're, out, they're running out of insulin. And this community clinic has no idea about what care they received before, what their needs are. And so, and so there's a huge need to think about how do we do a better job of, of, of coordinating that transition back to the community, community health care clinic, health clinics or, or other entities such as county mental health. But there's an opportunity to think about how to leverage technology. There are federal dollars um, on the health side as well as part of health care reform that helps fund demonstration projects um, to think about how do you develop your health information technology capacity. There's nine community clinics, for example, in California. In fact, six of them do serve this population that have been recipients of these dollars. So here's an opportunity to start thinking about what are some pilot studies that can be done to think about using electronic medical records to do it in a cost-effective way, that transition of care to the community level. I talked about Medicaid. Um, med there, there's a huge opportunity under healthcare reform, if it is not struck down, <laughs> to, um, um, for the first time to remove a key access to care barrier, that is, lack of insurance for this population. But the key challenge is how do we enroll this population in Medicaid? And it's both for individuals that had Medicaid, that it was suspended while they were incarcerated, are now coming back out. It's not automatic that they are reinstated. They have, to, they have to petition to have their Medicaid benefits reinstated, as well as those that are newly eligible. We know from the experience of other states that have tried to expand Medicaid in the past that this is a very difficult population to work with. Um, they have low literacy rates. They, we know that those with mental health problems are, are more difficult to kind of get linked into, the, into Medicaid as well as those with drug problems. Um, I was talking to the Los Angeles County Alcohol and Drug um, Director and he was talking about the fact that they tried to do an experiment where they would set up a computer kiosk so someone could come in and they could just sit down on the computer, the thought was, and have them fill out the form. He said it was a complete failure because this is a population, again, with low literacy rates, very little experience in working with computers, and, and it, so there's a true need for, for counties to start thinking about how can we develop trained specialists who are going to work with this population, really work in, in, in handling this process and linking them to services. Lastly, I just wanted to talk about um, the impact of realignment in California. This is, a, this is probably the most fundamental change to our criminal justice system that's happened in over 25, 30 years. Yet there is no state mandated assessment of the impact. Such an assessment is, is, is necessary simply because otherwise you really have no way of knowing did realignment achieve what it intended to do. Which kind of, which kind of individuals fare better or worse under realignment? Do you have, because each county was given wide leeway in how they're implementing the realignment plans, we basically have 58 different experiments. So what you'd like to know is which counties, which county models the service delivery of providing services to this population result in better outcomes? And, and, and how can you adjust, for example, 
the realignment funding formula so that you help encourage counties to adopt some of these practices. So that's something that, that many people, many researchers, not just I, California are very concerned about, but there's a huge need to think about what is the impact. It's not only, as you think about other states too, we know that there's various attempts at justice reinvestment, but it's these kinds of changes that are helping us to address kind of long-standing problems with prison overcrowding, but at the same time, we have to think about what does that mean for localities and what they're going to be able, have to do. I just wanted to give you a sense then of under the Second Chance Act, right now, as you well know, the federal government has underscored the importance of reentry. Many states are in, are in the process of exploring what can they do to both reduce prison crowd, overcrowding but also reduce the size of their corrections budget. Again, the opportunity under health care reform to think about how we tackle both the corrections and criminal justice problems and link them to opportunities to think about how to leverage funding to address the needs of this population at the local level is something that, I, that I'm hoping that many states are starting to think more systematically about. So I'm glad to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.